I really looked up to Wilma Rudolph. When I was 12 years old, I was told about her, you know, that she had won three gold medals in the Olympics. I didn't know what the Olympics were, but I found out, you know, she was a black lady, that she was the fastest in the world. And I was beating the guys around the projects at the time in competition. The only thing I thought is, oh, maybe I can do that one day. And that's about all I thought about it until one day when she came on campus at Tennessee State University and I had a chance to meet her and her gracious demeanor, just the way she was compassionate toward people. I didn't know who it was. And one of my other teammates, I asked her, I said, who is that lady? I've seen her on campus before. And she said, oh, that's Skeeter. And I said, Skeeter, who is Skeeter? And she said, Skeeter, you know, Wilma Rudolph. I was <laughs> like, that is Wilma Rudolph? <laughs> I said, wow. First of all, she's flat out gorgeous. And I said, please, whatever you do, don't tell her I didn't know who she was, okay? And of course, she goes over to her and says, hey, Skeeter, <laughs> Madeline didn't know who you were, you know, and she's too shy to ask you <laughs> say That's anything. Funny. So she comes over to me and puts her arm around me and says, listen, I know all about who you are. And this is your time. My time has passed. Wow. This is your time. Now you go out there and you get that gold medal. And that was at the Pan Am Games. <laughs> and I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> she said, don't say yes, ma'am to me. I'm not that old. Uh, I got to be the closest of friends. And it was a special relationship that we formed after that because she was so down to earth and so loving and kind. And that's how I want it to be. Welcome to the Roman Gabriel Show. Faith, family, sports. Roman goes up close and personal with high-impact difference makers from the world of sports and entertainment. Get more exclusive content at www.romangabrielshow.com. Now, here's your host, Roman Gabriel. Welcome to a new edition of the Roman Gabriel Show. Coming in with me is one of the great track stars of all time. 800-meter specialist, gold medalist at the 1968 Mexico Olympics, Madeline Manning Mims joins me on the Roman Gabriel Show. She pioneered the 800-meter run for the United States by being the first and at present the only American woman to bring back a gold medal in this event, along with Olympic record, world record, and American record, which she held for 15 years. She's been a member of four Olympic teams for the United States, spanning a 16-year international career. As a speaker and leader among world athletes, Madeline has shared her personal story at the White House and on the steps of the Capitol. Among the many Hall of Fame into which Madeline has been inducted, including are the National and Olympic Halls of Fame. At the 2000 Sydney Olympics, she was honored as an Olympic legend in the stadium. She is also founder and president of the United States Council for Sports Chaplaincy and has served as a chaplain from the 1988 to 2016 Olympics. She also served six years as the chaplain to the WNBA Shock basketball team. Extremely talented, Madeline is an author, international speaker, contemporary gospel recording artist, and she's in the Tulsa Jazz Hall of Fame. 
Enjoy my conversation with one of our great Olympic champions and a champion in life, Madeline Manning Mims. And remember, for more exclusive audio and video content, go to our official website at romangabrielshow.com. That's romangabrielshow.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. And be sure to like and subscribe. Anywhere you get your podcast, streaming on DBNA, television.tv, all your social sites. And uh, we're excited today on another episode of the Roman Gabriel Show to have a great champion with us. Um, you'll remember her as a great track champion, 1968 gold medalist, 800 meters. Uh, Madeline Manning is with us on the Roman Gabriel Show, and she's got a whole bunch of great stuff going on using her platform from her Olympic fame. Uh, to do a lot of great things out there. Uh, Madeline, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here with you. Well, I'm excited to have you. I love talking to track stars. We've had a lot of them on. Um, you know, the Olympics is such a special thing uh, to so many people in our country. Um, and you were you were around during a very volatile time. Uh, you know, d d that first Olympics in Mexico uh, in 1968. Tell me about the atmosphere of Mexico and the Olympics that year for you. Well, for me personally, um, being a young girl in uh, my second year of college at Tennessee State University with a high profile uh, group of ladies who um, were top in the world, the Tiger Bells. And this is where Wilma Rudolph came out of that school and she would come back and visit us and encourage us. And uh, so we were, we always thought internationally. We, we didn't just think, uh, in fact, they didn't have conferences for girls back then. They had them for the, the guys, but not the girls. And so we would often be asked to go to international competitions um, to compete. So our whole focus was uh, toward the Olympic Games. And of course, this was new to me. You know, I had um, come out of the Cleveland area. Cleveland, Ohio was my hometown. And I had really not been a whole lot of places um, except for anything that I did that involved track. And all of a sudden, here I am with a group of ladies who were the best in the United States and some best in the world. And our coach, Ed Temple, was telling us, you know, let's focus on being uh, number one and going toward the Olympic Games with that in mind to to win. So I had that happening. But at the same time, there was so much chaos in the United States going right. on. There were people that would actually come onto our campus uh, and for no reason just start shooting up in the air. Uh, I can recall trying to get from the track to my dormitory one day when this shooting started and actually running from tree to tree because I didn't know where the bullets were coming from or where they were going. Um, it was quite upsetting, of course, uh, but we fought, we made the Olympic team, had some of the most outstanding athletes ever on that Olympic team. <laughs> um, and 
So once we got together, you know, we were quite closely a family. Um, I know a lot of people look at um, John Carlos and Tommy Smith and their human interest. You know, a lot of people said, you know, that was the black power thing. It was not a black power thing. It was a human interest that they were they were trying to um help people understand that we need to be fair to all ethnicities and especially in our country. Um, and they wore their little badges that said that, you know, uh, the human interest. And it, it was, it was um, a different thing. The girls now, including myself, I was just a little bit clueless of what was going on. I didn't know a whole lot of stuff was going on. I didn't know a whole lot of things was happening right there in Mexico City at the university with uh, the situation that they were dealing with. All I was interested in at the time was training, getting my sleep, eating well, you know, and preparing myself to, to train and compete at the highest level and just and give my best. And of course, my faith had a lot to do with it. Um, so there was there was no chaplains around at that time. There was <laughs> nobody to talk to. And well, I was and, gonna I was gonna ask you. You know, obviously there weren't great opportunities in sports for women at that time. Not no. like today. Oh uh, no, with Title IX and all the different sports that are equally distributed at colleges. Right. Um, was was track of a first love or was it just something that you knew that you could do really well that would get you to where, you know, you'd have an opportunity to do some things that maybe you wouldn't get any other way? Well, I actually was discovered in high school. I was so shy. I pr probably wouldn't have said anything to anybody or gone out for anything. But it was during the um, President Kennedy's had this physical fitness thing. Do you remember that? Fitness council, had, I remember in high school. All that, the push all the way to Reagan. Exactly. And um, we, you know, we had to give our best. And I did really well uh, at the end of that whole scenario they came to me after i had tried to do it over and over again getting a better score and said it's over now but we have noticed that not only have you set um school records but you've also set national records in the, wow. in the country you're one of the top physically fit girls in the country and i said why don't you get into some type of sport so i said okay what you got and so I went into volleyball, basketball, and track. And um, track gave me an opportunity because there was a coach, Coach Alex Ferenczi from Hungary, who was coaching a girls' team that was a mixture of all the best in the, in the schools uh, around Cleveland. And he asked my mother if he could work with me. And so I all of a sudden... How old were you at the time? How old was I? 15. Okay. Yeah, I was 15 when, when I met him. And um, by 16 and 17, you know, he had really gotten me into um, running. Uh, really, I was a sprinter. I began as a sprinter. And then all of a sudden, I went into uh, the middle distance, you know, only because they were like, you got the longest legs, why don't you go out there and run the quarter? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, 
I don't, I'm not sure. That's a long way. But then I ended up breaking the school record. And and, um, and then the next thing I knew, uh, that's when he talked to my mom to have me come down and work out with the girls. And so within a, a year, I was um, state champion and then went on to be a national champion. And they took me off of that as a 17-year-old girl. Um, and we went over to Russia, Poland, and West Germany. And, uh, I mean, my world just started changing really quickly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Madeline Manning is with us, a uh, gold medalist from the 76 Olympics in the 800. She also won a silver medal. Is that right? In the next Olympics, correct? That's the, right. Uh, four by four. Is that right? That's correct. Oh, who were, who was the other three in that group? Oh, Cheryl, Toussaint, um, and then there were two sisters, and one of the sisters ran on there, and uh, I can't remember her name, um, and then Kathy was the girl who was, the, she kicked, she did the uh, last part of it. That was a, that was, that year was very challenging to me, because that was in 72, when we had the Black September invasion, which actually they're representing the 50th year. Uh, this year um, that happened, that whole year was just traumatic for me. It was very traumatic. And uh, I ended up having to deal with seeing the, what was happening directly in my face. And the, the, the women's uh, dormitory for the girls track and field was directly across from the Israeli dormitory. And so we watched a lot from our porch until they shut us all down and had us come out. But yeah, that, that was, you know, sometimes I share that story as I'm sharing with um, different groups about, um, you know, my love for Israel and, and what happened to me because one of the athletes actually was from Cleveland that uh, was killed in that situation. Yeah, that that for the whole world was a wake up call. I I, I was yep. young enough. I think at that time um, was in middle school. I'm in middle school, but I, we remember watching it. It was it was startling. I mean, nothing had ever happened like that ever, right? Or to that degree. And of course, not having the media to cover things like moment by moment. You know, there was so much uncertainty. Right? Was that true with you guys there too? Well, what was what happened is uh, Cheryl and I ended up going over to the basketball men's dormitory because they got locked out. Uh, they locked down the 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 whole uh, Olympic Village where you couldn't get in or out. And so in doing that, they got locked out. But they had this huge screen TV in there uh, down in their foyer. And um, we went over there to look and see what was going on, trying to figure it all out. And we saw quite a quite a bit on the German television. Uh, actually, we saw the actual blow up of the two helicopters. And, and the, that was that's something I'll never forget. Madeline Manning is with us on the Roman Gabriel Show, RomanGabrielShow.com. And uh, Madeline, what, you know, you would have had an opportunity to be in your fourth Olympics uh, in 1980 in Moscow. When, when did you find out um, from the athlete's perspective when we boycotted Russia 
uh, in the Moscow Olympics. When did you actually find out that that wasn't going to happen? Um, actually, it was still somewhat uncertain at the Olympic trials, but it was pretty much like, uh, oh, okay, if you make the trials then, and you make the team, then if we go, you, you'll get to go. And if not, you know, but it was so, so much uncertainty that a lot of athletes quit. They just quit trying anymore. Um, I really felt for some of the athletes in Tokyo, you know, that gave up also because if they, they weren't sure um, if there was going to be an Olympic Olympics for them. And so I, I know how that feels because you, some days you get up and you, you like, let me go for it. Let's do it. Other days you get up and wonder, why am I doing this? You know, what's in this for me? What if it, if there's nothing, but one oh. of the things that I had to realize, you know, is that God made me an athlete and that's what I did. And, and so I would go as far as I could with it. And I'm glad that I did because we got a beautiful um, award, a gold medal from that was given by the Congress, our Congress, um, for the uh, outstanding achievement of making that team. Of course, most people don't know that the track and field team actually went after the games were over. We then went on a tour and the first place we went was to Leningrad and competed against the Russians. And then we went on tour around the world, ended up in, in China. And um, so it's not like we didn't go anywhere and compete. We did. And, um, you know, you were talking earlier about, you know, role models and, and you know, we used to call them back in the day, who's your idol? Um, but who was that person for you when you were growing up? Was there anybody in your life that you really looked up to and wanted to be like? Well, I, I didn't have idols, but I, um, I really looked up to Wilma Rudolph. When I was 12 years old, uh, I was told about her, you know, that she had won three gold medals in the Olympics. I didn't know what the Olympics were, um, but I found out, you know, she was a black lady, that she was the fastest in the world. And I was beating the guys around the projects at the time in competition. So I thought uh, the only thing I thought is, oh, maybe I can do that one day. Yeah. And, and that's about all I thought about it until one day when she came on campus at Tennessee State University and I had a chance to meet her and her gracious um, demeanor, her, 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 just the way she was compassionate toward people. I didn't know who it was. And uh, one of my other teammates, I asked her, I said, who is that lady? I've seen her on campus before. And she said, oh, that's Skeeter. And I said, Skeeter? Who is Skeeter? And she said, Skeeter, you know, Wilma Rudolph. I was <laughs> like, that is Wilma Rudolph? <laughs> I said, wow. First of all, she's flat out gorgeous. And I and and then I I was I said please whatever you do don't tell her I didn't know who she was okay and of course she goes over to her and says hey <laughs> Madeline didn't know who you were you know and she's too shy to ask you <laughs> say That's anything funny. so she comes over to me and puts her arm around me and says listen I know all about who you are 
and this is your time. My time has passed. Wow. This is your time. Now you go out there and you get that gold medal. And that was at the Pan Am Games. <laughs> and I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> she said, don't say yes, ma'am to me. I'm not that old. <laughs> well, that's, but we that, got that's... to be the closest of friends. And it, it was um, just a special relationship that we formed after that because I, she was so down to earth and so loving and kind. And I wanted, that's how I wanted to be. You know, I so is, is the atmosphere and the culture in track and field like football? Because you just explained and, and described what we always talk about in the football world of who that person who mentored you was or that person that you looked up to that showed you how to be a professional or in some way inspired you to understand what it's all about. Right. Uh, from watching somebody else do it. You know, you know Lee Steinberg is a famous uh, you know football agent. An agent agent out there tells me all the time about role model mirroring and about uh -huh. you know showing your clients and showing these young men what a professional looks like and how to conduct yourself on and off the field. And I remember Coach Herm Edwards is at Arizona State University now, who played for the Philadelphia Eagles, took me aside one time and he said, you know, your dad was the guy who taught me how to be a professional from oh. the day I walked into training camp with the Eagles. I looked up to your father. Your father took me aside and showed me what a professional looks like and taught me how to be a professional. And so did that, was a lot of that there for you guys, you know, in track and field when you had people that were in multiple Olympics that had been through the experience before? I, you know what, when I came onto the Olympic scene um, as a sophomore in college, I was so just, out of it. I mean, I, I didn't know a lot. I didn't know a lot of people who had really run or, but I did know about Wilma and it, I'm so glad and so thankful that she came into my life. Um, and, and just, I just watched her when she would come on campus, how, um, she held herself with such royalty and, um, and everybody, I mean, it would. She was strikingly very a beautiful woman, and so when she walked in into any place, everybody would just stare, <laughs> and and it never uh, affected her that she was, you know, better than anyone else. It, she she didn't come off like that. She came off kind, and and um, she would take time with people. She would smile at people and talk to people and she was just gracious and whether I knew it or not that was forming how I wanted to be with people although at the time I didn't think of myself as someone great like her right well when you look at what you accomplished I mean one of two women to win the 800 and the youngest at the time held up until 2007 so you know, you did it at a, you know, that's a tough go when you're coming in early, young as you were, to be able to step up and, and to win that gold medal. And I was going to ask you, tell me about that day uh, going into it uh, for the 800 that day and racing for the gold and your mindset in, in that race and, and, and your feelings about that day. Well, that that is so unique. And actually, it was 53 years between the time when I won the gold medal and then last year when a thing mole won the gold medal. And I didn't realize she had been following my life. 
Um, she, she knew about me. I actually had spoken to her on the phone when she was about 13 or 14 years old and, um, encouraged her because she was like, I want to be just like you. Well, I hear that all the time, you know, <laughs> and, and I wasn't sure until I saw her when she was 18 and she was a senior and I saw her on television run. I was like, gosh, who is this girl? You know, she runs like me. She has long legs like me. She, she, she's a front runner like I am. She, she's just like, and to find out when they interviewed her after she won the gold medal and they asked her, do you know anything about the history of the 800? And she's go, oh yeah, Madeline Manning in 1960. I mean, she just starts <laughs> rattling it off. And, and that, that she had watched. And I said that I want to be just like her. And I want to come to the Olympic Games and win a gold medal in the 800 meter and make Madeline, Madeline Manning very proud of me. Wow. And that just, I mean, that floored me because it had been so long that I was trying to encourage other 800 girls that were coming up to go after that gold. And um, so anyway, how did I feel back then? Uh, nervous, <laughs> uh, but I had a plan. We had two girls in the finals of the 800, uh, Doris Brown and myself. And I had talked to her and I said, let's, let's do this. I'm going to go out really fast and take the, the lead. And what I want you to do is I'm going to slow the pack down and I want you to come up beside me and let's run side by side because if you don't they'll try to block you in back there well she said okay and so that was our plan but her her coach at the time <clears throat> had um she told her coach what we were going to do and he said no no just let her go on and run out there and then when she gets tired you can just go to the front and win which was the stupidest thing ever <laughs> I knew how to run at 800 and I yeah. knew what to do and what not to do. And my coach, I had told him and he said, just be careful, Madeline, just be very careful. And I said, Oh, I, I will. So after the first lap, when I had opened up the inside thinking it was, it was uh, her coming on the inside of me and the other girl came by and I was like, "Uh Oh, I don't know what's going on, but that's not our plan. And I, so you're on your own now. Um, and just to give it my all, you know? And um, so I won by quite a, quite a distance. And in doing that, what happened, it was a myth that girls of color, women of color, could not run long distance. I never and, heard that. Yeah. Wow. At that, during the end, it was all lily white field. And there, it was said that women of color just cannot. They don't have the ability. They have fast twitch muscles and they do sprints. So that day, it crushed that myth <laughs> to, to pieces and it opened up for the world in, in other nations to open their doors for their women of color to run. And so I, um, I didn't realize what I was doing when I was doing all this. I'd never imagined that it was opening an international door for women to run distance. And wow. now you see them and they dominate. 
You know, uh, I had Sonia Richards Ross on the show. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, when she came out with her book. Yes. Uh, and we talked about, uh, you know, I'm going to ask her the same question I asked you. Uh, or I asked her how, how difficult because people just don't realize the commitment that it takes, mm. whether it's the Winter Olympics or the Summer Olympics, knowing that that moment comes around every four years. Um, how did you handle the, the pressure that comes with that, um, with the trials and with the Olympics and with that process? Um, tell me about your process and about your, your mindset and how uh, you approached the preparation for the trials, you know, up to that, you know, that year when everybody's paying attention. Yeah. Well, first of all, you work your butt off. <laughs> you, know, you, you, you can't halfway do this to make it. You can't one day feel like you're going to do it or, and the next day, well, I think I'll take, you have to really be committed. And to have that type of commitment, you've got to believe that you have something that is God given, a gift to you that you are ready to produce to its highest ability. Um, of course, my faith has a lot to do with everything I do. And so I had a very strong prayer life. <laughs> and, you know, it's there are times that I would be so nervous and I put so much pressure on myself. You ever been there? Yeah, that you put so much pressure on yourself. You have to release it some way. And one of the ways I would release it is I would go into the bathroom, go into one of the stalls and cry. And ju just just to release some of the. the Was the, this before every race? Not every race, but the, the big ones. The big definitely. Ones, yeah. yeah. I would just cry and, and and ask, Lord, why am I here? Why did I? I could have gotten out of this. You know, all I had to do was not show up. And um, and the Lord, I was just pray and say, are you here with me now? Please be here with me now. And he said, I choose to be. I choose to be with. I'm oh. not in the stands. I'm not coaching you. I choose to run every step with you. everybody. This is Roman Gabriel, host of the Roman Gabriel Show. You know, our mission is much larger than providing you an entertaining podcast. Our country faces an ongoing crisis of underage youth battling alcohol and drug addiction and a rising suicide rate. This problem impacts all of us and our families. Our nonprofit, the Sold Out Youth Foundation, has been my passion since 2003, impacting hundreds of thousands of middle and high school students, challenging them to an alcohol and drug-free life while providing a life-changing, interactive online education platform, teaching students valuable life skills and success principles, equipping them to pursue their passion and dreams. I need your help. Our program is successful because of people just like you who financially support our movement. Please give safely and easily today by going to our website at soldouttv.com. That's soldouttv.com. And click on the red donate button. Or right now on your cell phone, Text sold out 20 to 484848. That's sold out 20 to 484848. All donations are 100% tax deductible. And believe me, any amount will help. Your generous gift can help one more child stay on the right path to health, wellness, and success. Thank you and be sold out. Welcome back to the Roman Gabriel Show Faith, Family, Sports. 
Roman goes up close and personal with high-impact difference makers from the world of sports and entertainment. Get more exclusive content at RomanGabrielShow.com. Now, here's your host, Roman Gabriel. I like your routine better than mine. Mine was, uh, <laughs> feel like you're going to throw up and go into the pen shower. And I never, and I never threw up, ever. I felt like I was going to, and then I would kneel down and say my prayer, and, and then I would be fine. But uh, it was every, that was every game for me. Yeah. Well, I did have a certain scripture that I would say that would give me so much peace. And that was Psalms 1, uh, 114, uh, 119, 14. And it said, I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. And it would just, it would bring the picture into into a, a place where I could handle it. Right. It, I wasn't thinking about all the people and all the competition and the times and I got to do this and I got, it would just bring it down where I could deal with it. And I realized, okay, this is for your glory, Lord, not for mine. And in doing that, a peace would come over me that would calm all those nerves down. You know, I would then then I would start focusing on what I had to do. Madeline Manning is with us on the Roman Gabriel Show, RomanGabrielShow.com. And uh, Madeline, was your toughest competition from the U.S. girls? Was that the Olympic trials? Uh, was My that- toughest competition was basically from the Europeans. Okay. I was well, quite ahead of my distance. time. They were the biggies in long distance at that time. In, yeah, in middle distance and everything. They, um, uh, there are a few experiments that they would try <laughs> on their athletes. And um, a lot of times, you know, it would give them an advantage. But um, I'm very, you know, I'm very proud to say that, you know, I've never taken anything to enhance what I do. I just worked hard and I prayed and asked God to use me to his glory. And that's what I did. I went out there not to try to prove that I was really better than somebody else because all of us are in the same basket. Um, but to, to give it all I had and, and that was fair to my competition, the people I competed with, and I never looked at them as enemies. It's one of the things I share with kids. And never look at your competition as enemies, uh, because if they weren't there, who would you run against? You know, you need them to be there to compete. But, um, you know, as I travel around, one of the things I try to encourage the kids about is that, um, you know, basically what you do is a God given gift. And, and you have to look at it that way. You don't, don't cheat him. Don't right. cheat yourself by cheating him out of what is his and, and to give it all you have. And so, you know, I'm doing some different things. I'm working with Brandy. I think, you know, Brandy yeah. Uh, Gibson. Yeah. And she's such a precious lady and she's wanting um, me to get out more. I've been really inside a lot. Until last year. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, with what's going on, it changed everybody, right? I mean, I know. Right now, I had never attempted until uh, until COVID. I mean, 
you know, the whole Zoom thing. And yeah, you know, it, that's a great accomplishment when we talk about three Olympics. It could have been four uh, if, if Moscow would have happened. Um, what, what was your toughest thing you had to overcome in your track career, the toughest challenge? Uh, I think my toughest challenge was my workouts. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, because in my training, uh, it got really serious. Uh, when you're on a top, you know, everybody is coming after you, everybody. And to, to be able to stay there, you have to keep doing better, keep doing better. And at, there's a point where you get to, that you're at your peak. And so those are probably my toughest times. But I was glad to say I had another gift. Um, I sing. I, yeah, so, I saw that. So tell us about that. So, yeah, um, I actually met my last coach, Terry, um, Terry Jameson, who um, was in the business of audio. And I happened to go to a meet where he had some middle distance girls that he wanted me to talk to. And so we started talking and I said, well, what all do you do? And he said, you know, well, I have a hobby and working with, you know, um, uh, different people who sing and, and, and I said, Oh, I sing. He said, okay, well, uh, how, how well do you sing? And I said, well, I, I just did a song called, um, through it all. He said, Oh, okay. Well, I know the person who wrote that. I was thinking, that, yeah, well, everybody knows him. <laughs> <laughs> and so we got to talking, long story made short. He sent down my information and uh, me singing um, to Nashville. And they said, set her up for a concert. Let's see how she does with people. And, and that's how it started. Now, the weird thing is that uh, I remember being on the circuit, the running circuit, and I was standing on the line getting ready to run when they announced um, in lane four from the United States, from the United States of America. We have a young lady who uh, is not only a runner, but she is also a gold medalist and a singer, a gospel singer. <laughs> and they said she will be singing for us tonight at the banquet. I was looking like, wow. what? Performing, a, you got it all going on. Were you serving the food that day at the, uh, <laughs> the trailer? I tell wow. you, uh, well, it got to the other uh, promoters, meet promoters, and they kept doing this. And all of a sudden, I kept finding myself singing at different at things after oh, yeah. the meet was over. But it it opened up a major door for me. So, you know, I kind of can't come out of my running career right into my singing career and speaking career. And I, then I start traveling all over the world. And it was in 2003 that I was called to um, prepare. Actually, in 1984, I was actually called to Los, uh, uh, Los Angeles to help some athletes know how to use their platform uh, in the secular arena to share their faith. Really? Yes. And so they asked, would you come in and just kind of like do your thing so they can get an idea of how this goes? So I did. And after that, it was 1988 that I started doing chaplaincy at the Olympic level. Yeah, I saw and, you're So you're actually the founder and president of the United States Council for Chaplaincy or WERD. Yeah, is that right? 
that's I am. Uh, that's what I had to realize that, you know, uh, we are there's there was nothing training chaplains for sports, nothing out there. And here I am in the midst of it at an Olympic level. And I realized in 2003 that I needed to develop an academic program that will help um, Olympians and Paralympians later on when they uh, allowed them to come, uh, help them to study in pastoral care and to take it back into their sport and become chaplains because who better can know about the culture and, and all the things that go on in a, in a, at an Olympic games other than a Olympian themselves. So that's what the United States council for sports chaplaincy is all about. Um, and we, you know, it's a volunteer type thing, but we, it is an academic program that I've raised wow, up. That is impressive. I, uh, I worked for the fellowship of Christian athletes for oh, yeah. five years and had the opportunity on many occasions to, to chaplain, you know, pregame football um, yeah. it was always a joy and, and very exciting for the college and high school level. Yeah. Um, but this, this is very interesting because now I suppose that that's a big part of the Olympic experience is having these experienced chaplains available, correct? Well, at the, at the Olympic level, it's, it's been a, uh, actually that's what I did my doctorate on, uh, because it's been a real battle that, that there are too many people there at one point who really felt like it didn't belong. But now since we had, are looking at the mental health aspect, now they're saying, you know, well, maybe we need the spiritual health aspect. I was going to ask you, Madeline, um, yeah. what's going on, you know, with the young lady that was a gymnast uh, this last Summer Olympics? Is her name escapes me, um, but high-profile Olympic yes. champion. Yes. And many other high-profile athletes who have felt comfortable enough to come out and say that they were experiencing mental and emotional distress, which is not right. – new to us the last two years with COVID, but I was going to ask you, did this problem exist when you were, um, when you were in the sport um, during that time, but it was more of a taboo that you didn't talk about it or is now people just feel more comfortable talking about, it, but it all, I had always been there. Yeah, I think, I think it's always been because the pressure that is on you at that level that's like going into the NFL, um, you know, the and, and and being at the top, just being at the top level. Um, that's a lot of pressure because you're not only representing yourself, uh, you're representing your country and you're very aware of that. And so uh, sometimes it, it can be where people will talk about it, but they'll talk about it among people they know. Uh -huh. um they don't we didn't have i don't think we had a name for it back then you know nobody was talking about mental health it um it, it was just that i'm i'm nervous i'm scared you know <laughs> things is i'm trying of, to is, deal with it's part of the problem as a high impact olympian somebody who's a champion who's done it at the highest level like you and many other u.s olympic champions that we've had in this country um, right. Does it come down to the handling of uh, the expectations that you, as you said earlier, had on yourself, 
that other people had on you? Is it more of an internal pressure or is it is it external for some people in terms of what people say about them? I think more it's a more in, internal pressure because even when people speak and say things that they, they have now access to social media and some people can be very um very mean and disrespectful behind, you know, a mask that they can wear called social media yeah. and say things that they probably never would say to you to your face. Um, but if you allow that to uh, uh, put you in a po position to doubt your worth and your value, it, it puts you in a place where it's hard to function like that. You have to believe I, I have that cliche, um, believing what the Lord says about you and not what people say about you. So if, if you know that you're, you, where your worth comes from and where your values come from and your principles of life exist. A lot, you're then, saying a lot of those people are, are relying on their sports, their sports, uh, what they accomplished on the field, and whether it's track or football or baseball, basketball, that that worth is, and if that worth is there, um, you're only as good as your last performance, right? That's so true. That is so true. Uh, it's it's really, uh, you know, being a chaplain, I have the 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 real honor and privilege of speaking with athletes on a confidential level, and so there's no threat with me. So when we talk, you know, it's not something I'm going to run back and tell a coach about or somebody who might deal with their money. You know, it's but listening to to where their heart lies and, you know, they want to do well. Um, and but just every day is not going to be one of those gold medal, world record crushing situations that you're going to have to go through life. And, it, and deal with what it delves out to you. And so if you don't know who you are, uh, who God has said you are, you know, then it's, it's hard to, to deal with what people are saying about you. And, oh, she's all, all washed up or he's all washed up or he's never going to do this. Or if you start listening to that and believing that, then it's going to really affect you mentally. Hey, this is Nick Ruffini from Revoice Media, and I'm the executive producer of The Roman Gabriel Show. We got involved with this show because we realized that Roman has a passion for educating the next generation, and we need your help. We need you to be a donor and go to soldouttv.com and donate, whether it's one time or an ongoing basis. Please help us educate the next generation by becoming a donor. Go to soldouttv.com and click donate. And remember... You can help us at the Sold Out Youth Foundation by donating text SOLD OUT 20 to 484848. That's SOLD OUT 20 to 484848 and help us help your students to stay drug and alcohol free. Welcome back to the Roman Gabriel Show. Check out more at RomanGabrielShow.com. Now, here's your host, Roman Gabriel. Madeline Manning is with us, Olympic champion, uh, track and field. And uh, you mentioned that you started sprinting. Did sprinting help you at all in the 800? Or, or, oh, or yeah. 
The, the 800 is comprised of, or the middle distance is comprised of something you can't do too fast because it's too long and something you can't do too slow because it's too short. So you have to have a lot of strategy and timing and um, endurance as well as natural speed. When you put all those things together, you look at a thing today, she has it all. She works very hard um, and she develops her, her natural endurance through hard work and hard, um, comp uh, uh, not competition, but hard practices, you know. But then she has natural speed. She, I think she, I, I'm not sure what her best 200 is, but I'm thinking that it's like 23 seconds something. And see, that's what I, I could run a 23 something. Wow. And what's yeah. amazing is, is that you did it. I would assume, like any other sport, that there wasn't the technology, the nutrition, right. the weightlifting, all, all of the things that these athletes have today to get ready. So you're saying to me that uh, when people compare people from different ages, they say, you know, you really shouldn't do that. But you, it sounds like to me you could run today based upon what you're talking <laughs> about. No, I mean, I'm talking about from what you accomplished back then. Oh, my time? Yeah. Today. My time, uh, my best time was 157, uh, was 157.87, but they they always rounded off to nine, um, which is still competitive at the international level. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I was way ahead of my time. I was the first woman to break two minutes in the 800 meters in the United States. Wow. Madeline Manning with us, uh, final moments with her. Um, you know, I was going to ask you when you said you were from Cleveland. Yeah. One of the most famous people from Cleveland of your and I generation, you know, I was kind of the end of it, was Jim Brown. Have oh, you yeah. had the opportunity to meet Jim? Um, at, at a couple of different um, events that, you know, we just happened to be together. I don't know yeah. him that well. The person I do know uh, that, that I got to chance to meet was jesse owens oh okay wow jesse owens he's the jim brown of men's track right i mean yeah he was yeah oh my well he set precedence when he uh won his four gold medals in berlin and and um of course we know about the nazi regime and the belief that uh they they were the the greatest athletes in the world and he just <laughs> totally did that and of course uh the the prime minister at that time uh walked out wow. yeah so he he yeah he made a major thing and he did same thing that that um wilma rudolph did to me in, in 1968 he was there speaking and at the end we were coming through and they introduced him to me he said i know who she is that's my girl that's my home girl <laughs> <laughs> and he started telling all about it and then i realized he did he had been keeping up with me and he said you go out there and you win that gold medal you're ready for it and i said yes sir <laughs> well it's so exciting madeline to see how you've used your platform we talk a lot to our Thank youth you. about platform and about why that's so important to know that everybody has it just yeah. depends how many people that are watching you, but everybody's watching somebody. That's so uh, true. 
before I let you go, um, you know, before the show, we were talking about our sold out youth foundation program, our drug and alcohol education program in schools. And yeah. uh, I always like to ask champions from any sport or any, uh, for that matter, life, um, what would you tell, uh, remembering what it was like to be a teenager back then, uh, what would you tell teenagers today that, uh, that maybe think that they're not going to have the opportunity that, uh, that maybe you had or, or think for some reason they're not going to get that opportunity to be what they want to be? What would you tell them? Have faith. When I was three years old, I had spinal meningitis. And at the time, the doctors told my mother I would not live. And um, she prayed for me and gave me back to the Lord and said, you know, if you give me my little baby girl back, I promise to raise her up in the ways of the Lord the best way I know how. And she stuck to that and uh, really taught me how to love God, how to love people, how to give of myself, how not to be selfish. Um, but to look out and keep your hand open. When you open your hand to others, you also have your hand open to receive. So if you don't look at this world, at how, how quickly you can get across over or under or whatever over somebody else, and instead look at opportunities to give of yourself, you'll always win. You'll always be a winner. You'll always be able to receive something back. Because you can't give without receiving. Well, you're stating very clearly uh, a, a precept that we talk to students about all the time, which is that there's two components of success. That if success is just getting what you want, it really isn't that isn't that much fun. But when you right. become successful and you have the opportunity to put your hand out to help someone else be successful, then what you're doing becomes very meaningful. And now you're having an opportunity to make a difference in people's lives. Yeah, you know, I, I, I watch people, uh, I have my race, my 68 race, you know, and, and when a lot of times I go places, we'll play it. And it's, it's so much fun to listen to the people react to seeing me run years ago as if they were there right then. And they're like, come on, Madeline, come on, you know, and, and it brings me so much joy. To know that I have that aspect of my life to share with people and to encourage them uh, never to give up, but to, to keep pressing forward and, and to make your win in life. Well, the, the thing that I'm so impressed by is, is that you did live through a very difficult time in this country as a youngster, as a, a black person, as a track athlete. Um, came through some very tumultuous times and turned that uh, challenge and struggle into something good. Uh, and, yes. and that's very exciting to see how you've lived your life and, and how, as you, you know, you're more than just an Olympic champion, you're a champion in life. And that's oh, what our program's you. all about. And to have you come in and, and, and tell us some of the stories you've told us today, mm -hmm. uh, I know that uh, our audience is going to absolutely love it. And, um, Madeline, thank you for being on the Roman Gabriel Show. I'm really excited to have had you, had you here, and, and, and uh, thank you for coming in and being so forthright and telling us some very interesting things that I didn't even know back at the time. <laughs> well, I, I count it a privilege and an honor, and thank you for the opportunity of allowing me to, to just share a little bit about my life with, with so many others. 
Thank you, Madeline. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to The Roman Gabriel Show. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a rating and review on iTunes and be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. And remember, you can help us at the Sold Out Youth Foundation by donating text SOLD OUT 20 to 484848. That's SOLD OUT 20 to 484848. And help us help your students to stay drug and alcohol free. The Roman Gabriel Show is produced in partnership with Revoice Media. Executive producers Roman Gabriel and Nick Ruffini. Audio editing by Justin Thomas. And graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music, entertainment, and sports podcasts, check out RevoiceMedia.com. Listen to The Roman Gabriel Show show at RomanGabrielShow.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.